Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. Hey, and I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our YouTube channel, where you can access exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at clearizefullhearts. Also, we are continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. Join us as we recap all your favorite episodes, chat with amazing guests, and answer your questions. Email us everything you want to know about Derek at ClearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Today, we are talking about Season 5, Episode 5, Kingdom. It was written by Rollin Jones and directed by Patrick R. Norris. Our NBC synopsis reads, The Lions take a road trip that impacts the lives of four players and Julie faces relationship struggles. There's a ton to unpack in this episode, but before we get into it, we're going to answer a few fan questions. All right. Our first question comes from David Nelson, who asks, what was your relationship with Timothy Crowley like? I noticed he was primarily a featured extra with no lines throughout the first four seasons before he was given a lot more to say in season five. What was the reason behind this? That is actually a really, really good question. Tim Crowley, or Coach Crowley, as most of you know him on the show, is the older white assistant coach for the Lions, and he wore multiple hats on Friday Night Lights. He isn't actually an actor in real life. In real life, he's a high school and college football official with over 30 years of experience before he joined Friday Night Lights, and he actually played a referee in the movie Friday Night Lights as well. But yeah, as the show progressed, I think that they had a little bit more confidence in Coach Crowley to actually say some stuff here and there. And he does wind up having some lines. But yeah, he not only acted as a coach on the show, but was indispensable as a technical advisor behind the scenes to Kyle Chandler and the rest of us as actors. On top of that, he was also the equipment manager, outfitting all the players for every practice and every game which also meant making sure that all these actors who had never put on football pads before had all their equipment on right and looked great in each scene, which meant that their helmets had to fit properly, that their chin straps had to be buttoned on properly, that their thigh pads were where thigh pads go and not where your knee pads go, that your shoulder pads weren't on backwards, all that stuff that goes along with it that, trust me, I saw a lot of actors <laughs> who had never put on pads before like struggling to get the, the equipment on properly. But honestly, guys, Tim Crowley is one of the unsung heroes on this show, and he added so much authenticity to every single scene, not just in the equipment and everything else and making sure that all that stuff looks spectacular, but I really got to know him well when I got hired on as a coach in the fifth season by Coach Taylor. Crowley was indispensable to me. He was a huge help as an actor. He and Aaron Spivey specifically. Yeah. Because those guys, I could go to them in between takes and be like, hey, what would I be saying here? What would I be doing here? What's something I could yell at the players? I mean, I grew up playing football, but I've never coached it. That's a very different thing. So they gave me hand gestures that I could throw out and, you know, things that I could like yell out like, strong left, watch out for cover, trips three, we got trips three on the left. You know, that kind of stuff. Billy would be yelling out in between scenes that just made everything that much more authentic. Off camera, Crowley's a great dude. I got to know him He's really, really very, well. very, very fun. Yeah, and 
got to have drinks with him multiple times on this show. Just an awesome guy. And there's so many people that are behind the scenes on this show. It would take us too long to go through every single one of them that just adds so much to it. The actors always get all the credit for everything because we're the thing that you see. Yeah, but what's behind it is thousands of people doing things that without them we would look like idiots. Yes, 100%. But that's yep. a great question. I love that kind of question. I love to shout out people like Coach Crowley and Aaron Spivey. I didn't know all that stuff about him. I knew he was like a ref. Yeah. I don't know the rest of it. You know, he would also officiate sometimes during the season. So on like a Saturday, he'd go officiate a game and then he'd come back. I'd start yelling at him about some calls that were made in the Baylor game. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he loved it. Great dude. Amazing. Shout out. Question two comes from John in Dallas, who writes, if Tammy was going to be fired as principal for allegedly counseling a student to get an abortion, why would they make her a guidance counselor instead? I think that'd be the last thing she'd get, even as a demotion. I am going to say I don't think she was really fired for counseling that student she was fired because they wanted to get rid of her so that's the only way i can justify this question (laughs) i know that they were going to fire her but was she technically fired i think that she walked from the job oh god i don't actually know i can't remember exactly and i should probably know that guys but once again like it wasn't one of her students that's the thing that i keep bringing up constantly is that this is literally somebody came to her asked her for advice. It wasn't one of her students. It was a student in another school. So yes, it's a student in the school district. They glommed onto that to be like, oh, this is the way we can get rid of her because we need her out of the school system. Yeah. And that's the thing is I think that the powers that be at Dillon High, home of the Panthers, wanted her gone because of the way that she was interfering with football more than it was that she actually had said something to this child about abortion. I think that was the real reason that they wanted her gone. Get out of here. Yeah. You can go be a guidance counselor. You can go be a principal at the next school. We don't care. As long as you're not interfering with football. Selfishly, as a viewer, I like Tammy as a guidance counselor. The principal stuff was like, there was just a lot of stress. Yeah. And it made me anxious. I like it here. Our final question comes from Steve in Michigan, who asks, When in your life have you felt like East Dillon Lions at the beginning of season five? Big expectations on what you were doing. Stacy. Good God. That's a good question. It's an insane good question and i like i thought about this like by the way thanks steve in michigan i thought about this all night night. (laughs) just laying in bed like seriously in two ways i want to say never and i want to say always like everything that i do i kind of feel that way i moved to new york to start doing theater again in march of 2020 and i felt like that i think coming back here like big expectations i had been here before I was ready to do it again. Was the city going to accept me this time? And then two weeks later, we were in lockdown. So like, I didn't ever really finish the feeling. But yeah, I think anytime you start a new job, yeah, is it? It's such a hard question. Like, Also, maybe I've never had my stakes that high. I think I felt it on this job. I mean, I think I feel it on any job. I remember doing a play years ago, and there was an actor I was working with who said that they had measured the stress level and the heart rate of people right before they got on stage, and it was the equivalent of people right as they were about to jump out of airplanes. That's why we take beta blockers. (laughs) So I think that anytime you're working on any project, there's that level of stress. But I do remember specifically, like, I was in college, and I got cast as Hamlet my senior year. And I do feel like there was a lot of weight 
on my shoulders at that point in time. And first and foremost, it's just a ton of lines to memorize. But then you have to remember that nearly every line in that show and every scene in that show is iconic. So there's also this whole history of every other actor who came before you and that overwhelming desire to do a good job. And then you add to that the fact that literally like every other male actor in the department was vying for that job. Mm-hmm. So they're all sitting there from the sidelines watching you do this thing that they wanted to do. There's a ton of pressure to really crush it and make it your own. But frankly, I don't know. I kind of like that pressure. I thrive under pressure. I love chaos. (laughs) So maybe that's why I'm saying never because I live in that space. Terrible. This has become a therapy session. (laughs) Right? Stacy can't sleep at night thinking about this. There was another time that kind of sticks out to me. I had been living in New York for about five and a half years doing theater. And Steve Walters, who actually started this podcast, one of the producers on this podcast, who reached out to me to come join this. But this is years ago. Steve had asked me to come do a play of his that they were doing at this theater company that they had just started in Dallas called Second Thought Theater. And I came down to do a production for them. And I do remember specifically feeling like there's a lot of expectations on me to do a good job. But then on top of it, all these people that are running this theater company are my friends. It's the first season of this theater company. And it's really a make it or break it point for a young theater company, those early shows. So there was a lot of pressure to perform and do a good job. And I do remember after the first performance of our first show, the reviews came out that night and we were still out drinking and celebrating. And somebody was like, hey, the reviews came out, the reviews came out. And we all ran over to a computer and we were reading it online and got these stellar reviews. And it was just kind of this huge weight off everyone's shoulders, I think, at that point in time. You know, not that reviews are everything. I never read a review. But when you're a young theater company, reviews are extremely extremely important because it affects your bottom line. Are you going to have enough cash to be able to do the next show that season? Because you're so reliant on ticket sales. So while reviews don't matter and blah, 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 they do matter when you're running a theater company. Personally for me, because if you believe all the good stuff, you also have to believe all the bad stuff. And I'd rather just not know what people think about me. It took me years to learn that too. Yeah. I mean, as an actor, that's, you know, looking at it from the myopic standpoint of like, it's not important, 100%. But when you're running a theater company and your theater is getting smashed for some play that they did, it's kind of a reckoning, like, okay, because it will affect your ticket sales. Obviously, there comes a point where as a theater company, you get far enough down the road that you can take those risks and not worry about it so much. But great questions today, guys. Please keep them coming because otherwise it's just Stacy and I yapping on about stupid stuff. Well, I mean, we should probably talk about this show and about football. <laughs> Maybe we should rename this show. Stacy and I talk about stupid stuff. Stacy's therapy a corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Stacy can't sleep because of the overwhelming burden of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Stacy, ready to jump into the rest of this episode? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Okay, we've spoken about Kyle Chandler cooking up bacon for the crew with his little mini grill in the past. We finally get to see it in this scene. This all started because back at the Taylor home, anytime that they shot at the Taylor house, Kyle would pull out bacon, throw it on the grill, and cook up bacon for the whole entire, you know, cast and crew. And it kind of became a tradition. And then he got a mini grill for the office, and it was like, well, might as well start cooking up there. So it's just another one of those wonderful FNL moments where the powers that be allowed for moments of realism to actually creep into the show. This is what Kyle would do, not Coach Taylor. And now all of a sudden, Coach Taylor's doing it. You're probably sitting there as an audience member going, why the hell is he cooking bacon in his office? And it's like, why the hell was Kyle Chandler cooking bacon on set? Why would you not cook bacon in your office is a better question. That's how I feel. 
When I was in college, Stace, I worked at like a fast food restaurant. Wait, really fast? I was trying to find some sort of Hamlet bacon pun. It didn't happen fast enough, but I want you to know I tried. Go on with your story. <laughs> I appreciate the effort. But yeah, so I worked as a short order cook when I was in college. Actually, that's being fairly loose with my credentials. They wouldn't really ever let me off the fry station because I wasn't good enough, but they did occasionally let me grill stuff only because I was hungover. Like if I ever showed up hungover, I worked at this place called Big Daddy's and Big Daddy would say, all right, Derek, looks like you had a little too much to drink last night, so you're cooking the bacon because bacon kind of makes you nauseous when you're hungover and drunk. And so I'd have to throw out like, you know, 400 strips of bacon because that was the bacon for the day and you're just sitting there you know breathing and break but i do remember making myself like a bacon mayonnaise and cheese sandwich and it was delicious oh god that's good stuff for a hangover for you people who out there who still drink okay (laughs) that's a lot of information the grease does wonderful things for your hangover i don't know Ah, okay why did coach ask vince to keep the recruiting information from Luke. I don't understand. I'm not positive. I mean, I can't tell you exactly what he was thinking there, but I think that maybe Coach tells Vince not to tell Luke about the recruiting stuff because he doesn't want for Luke and Vince to be at each other's throats over it because I think Coach knows that TMU really isn't interested in Luke and they are interested in Vince. And if Luke found out that that's the only reason that he was recruited by TMU, it might cause tension on the team. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think what we're going to find out Spoiler alert, in a few episodes is that Luke will find out that TMU is not really interested in him and it's going to cause tension. So I think Coach was just trying to keep that crap out of the locker room, basically. Got it. Boo. Yep. Meanwhile, Julie's been out all night. She's doing the walk of shame back to her dorm room in the morning. She's missing class. This kid needs to get her act together. Julie's going to Julie is all I can say. The girl is going to make the worst possible choice in any situation and we're going to love her through it because... We do. She's one of the smarter characters in Dylan who makes some of the dumbest mistakes. Yeah. Well, it's because she's book smart. You think that's what it is? I don't know if she's life smart yet. Yeah. Maybe she's learning. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. She reminds me a lot of myself. In what ways? Uber intelligent, Stacy, but mm-hmm. also making dumb decisions on a regular basis in my youth. I'm going to give you both of those things. You absolutely do. You think I'm smart? Yeah, but you have street smarts too. But you still make dumb decisions. Street smarts. (laughs) That just made me think of like me snapping my fingers, like walking down the road, like do do do. Be cool, boy. That's exactly what I think about you. Question for you. Yes. I love it anytime that we get the guys on the bus, especially Mm -hmm. with Spivey there. And I just, I couldn't help but wonder because these rhymes that they were doing were so specific. And I was like, did Roland Jones sit down and write these? And I want to text him and find out. And I didn't text him, but I will. And I will get back to you. Do you think that he did it? I don't know. The Luke one is so specifically like it feels all in (laughs) it. I honestly don't know. This is one of those episodes where there's a lot of like fun little moments that I know were improv'd. That one I can't remember specifically. You know what I do remember though, Stacey? I do remember being on that bus. And even though it's an overcast day when we were shooting... It was still summer in Texas. There's no AC on that bus. Uh And we were on there for like five hours. It was easily high 90s. But the inside of that bus was hot as hell. What did it smell like? It was like the stench of like 50 dudes. You know, it was an all-factory nightmare, essentially. (laughs) Not one of my favorite days on set. 
I love anytime that there is a bus travel like that, coach is always in the front and everybody's like high energy and he is always just sitting so quiet. Well, I can tell you honestly from like bus rides when I was playing football in high school, that's exactly what it was like. The coaches were always in the front of the bus. The people in the seats all the way back were always getting into some kind of mischief. Mm -hmm. All the cool kids at the back of the bus. Doing stuff that they probably shouldn't have been doing at the back of the bus, you know? Yeah, you want to look at the kids who like speed into the back of the bus. Like, why do you want to be back there? Yeah. Read your own back there? There's always trouble. Always trouble back there. But yeah, I mean, it was always just raucous and loud and obnoxious. Billy is a lot this episode. I would like to say AAA is for women. I personally, as Stacy, would like to challenge Derek Phillips to a speed tire change. I'm really good at it. I spent the first 15 years of my driving life on bald tires, okay? I have dealt with my fair share of flats in my day. Mm-hmm. Plus, I've been watching F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix, yeah. so I'm pretty sure I could destroy you in a speed tire change. I would like to see it. You don't even know what a lug nut is. I've said this before. My dad taught me how to play Texas Hold'em yeah. and how to change a tire so that I would always have something to do instead of like doing the things that Julie does with guys. I could play poker and change the tire and I'm really good at them. Everyone should learn how to change a tire because it's not that hard. I had a blowout stuck on the side of the road at the night by myself. Like yeah. It's scary, but thank God I could fix it. I'd be screwed. Yeah. It's not that hard. I mean, as long as you have a spare tire, it's not that hard to put a spare tire on. I don't know, State. You, are you that good? I can change a tire. Now I'm a little worried. My manhood in here is at stake. I love this little moment here on the side of the road with all the team peeing. I had said earlier that there's like these wonderful little moments throughout this episode. Some of them are improv. Some of them are just, you know, we didn't even know the cameras were rolling on this. Wait, were you guys really peeing? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I told you we were on that bus for like five hours. We were just driving back and forth. We have, you know, when you're shooting stuff on a television show, they will shut off a section of road and there's like police on one end and police on the other end, basically blocking traffic to make sure that, you know, it's safe. We were on this bus for hours and hours on the side of the road. It was like an access road, if I remember correctly. So they'd shut down this access road so that we could just drive back and forth. And so we were on that road for four or five hours. And at some point, all of us got off the bus to pee. And so we were jokingly, like, not jokingly, we were all lined up peeing in that moment. And I jokingly pulled my pants all the way down because for whatever reason, I always think that's funny. If I had a friend of mine that was like in the bathroom peeing in a urinal, I'd walk in and be like, hey, what's up, man? And then I just pull my pants all the way down, like underwear down around my ankles. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, what, man? That's just that's just how I pee. So I, if you look closely, Billy's got his pants all the way down. Like my bare butt is just hidden underneath my shirt that I have on. And Spivey comes running by and smacks me on the butt in that scene. But that wasn't a scene. We were just having fun as a cast and literally peeing because we had to. Because we were stuck on the side of the road there and there was no bathroom anywhere. I loved it. I guess our, you know, powers that be, probably Todd McMullen caught it across the street. Grab it, grab it, grab camera. Yeah. So that's one of those things that just kind of happens on this show. Just a beautiful little scene. It was beautiful. beautiful. This is the kind of behind the scenes info that I think our fans are dying to know. The stuff about how Derek pees. That's what the audience is really craving. This is what they're craving. Yeah. I would like to pause for a minute and talk about fry bread. My cousin and I just got back from Sedona, and I'm going to tell you that this jerk face TA is right. 
about fry bread and you go and you find it from a true reservation and it is like melt in your mouth heaven he's still a jerk but he is right about this if you find the right people making the right fry bread i don't think i've ever had is it like a i mean they did say sopapilla in the episode is it the same thing as a sopapilla Essentially, like every culture has their own version of like a bread that they fry. Like we do what funnel cakes and yeah, sopa peas or whatever. But fry bread, it's handmade bread. And then they do put it in a fryer. But the original one is served just with salt. And so it's not sweetened. It's like fried bread, but it has salt in it. But you can also get it with like honey or, or sugar or whatever. But if you get like just regular salted fried bread. Yeah. It's all quiet. I mean, I've been like driving to Vegas and stuff like that. And I've seen signs on the side of the road. Next time I'm going to have to stop and do it. I've never stop. done it before. They're, they're the best ones. The, the ones on the side of the road where there's like nothing for miles. Those are the best yeah. ones. Oh God, it's so good. I love stuff like that. When I was growing up, I mean, this isn't fry bread, but when I was growing up and went to school in Baylor, about 15 miles outside of Waco, there's a little town called West. And West has kolaches. Kolaches. Anytime you're on the way to Dallas, you had to stop. Yeah, like the entire town is Czechoslovakia and it's amazing. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like in the middle of nowhere, Texas, there's this just massive, it's not even massive. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a gas station with a Czechoslovakia kolache stand. And it's spectacular. If I drove from Austin to Dallas without getting my dad kolaches, I would get in trouble. They yeah. always had to the stop. The problem now is that, I mean, and this podcast isn't going to help things, but there's already like massive lines outside the place. Back in the day, you could go in there and grab some food and it wasn't crazy. But now every time I've stopped in like the last 10 years, mm -hmm. there's always like 40 or 50 people in line. Still worth it. It's worth it. Just in general, anytime you come across a place that's got a line for food, it's probably worth it. Every time I walk out of the PATH station and like head to Hell's Kitchen, there's a line down the street for this one pizza place. And I'm like, it's, it's New York City. Like, what are you people doing at this one pizza place? And it's like a line of 50 people. Do you think that that's maybe just a trend right now? I don't know. For that one specific place? Like, because if a place has that for years and years on end, that's what I'm saying. Like, there are places that are trendy, you know? I don't know. Anyway. Going back to Billy, who this episode, I'm going to call him very un-PC. And uh, Mindy married that man. Yes. Full on committed her life to that man. Yes. Yeah. It was your special team, special ed. Billy doesn't like mine. special team. I Okay, Billy. You mean, Stacey, I am just a vessel. Mm -hmm. Okay. You can lay your complaints at the feet of Roland Jones. Unless, of course, you liked anything in that scene, then, of course... That was totally my doing. Then it was yours. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you like anything in the scene? I just, I didn't know Billy hated special teams that much. Okay, thanks. I'm I'm glad that that's what you garnered from that. I thought it was one of my strongest acting moments on the show. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow. I'm just fishing for compliments here from Stacy, and I just I can't I can't get them. No, not today. Can't get them. Vince is asked about why they forfeited the game last time, and he says about coach he had his reasons. I just don't know what they are. I love that answer. I love Vince. He like has. Full faith address. If you had asked him that the day that they forfeited, his answer would be completely different. But now the relationship that Coach Events have built, our building, is putting him to this space. He's like, I don't know, but I trust everything that he asked me to do. That's the thing that worries me about Cress Williams being back on the show, his dad being there, because that relationship that he's built with Coach is about to get fractured because his dad's going to start putting this idea in his head that maybe Coach doesn't have his best interests at heart. Oh, I didn't know that. I love that storyline, though, because I do love that Vince has gotten to this place where he trusts Coach, but now it's going to start, you know, you're going to start getting Dad sticking his nose in there and messing that relationship up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'd love that little scene. This whole 
scene where I guess coach is like down below. It looks maybe like, I don't know if he's on the ground floor or on his balcony, just lounging. And the kids are a balcony up and a balcony away. And they have this, it's a very sweet conversation between players and friends. I don't know if I could say how it advanced the plot, but I don't care Yeah, because I loved it. I'm right there with you. I don't know how it advances the plot either necessarily. I'm not saying it needs to. I just really loved it. I loved it too. It's like male bonding before war. I don't know. It's it's football bringing all these different kids together. It's an inside look at how difficult their home lives are and just how different their home lives yeah, are. Yeah, they were so honest with each other for some reason. Yeah. Also, like being away from home in a new place and like yeah. just with those people, there's that that happens too. Oh, 100%. God, I remember those moments in high school and in junior high where you had those away games. Or mm -hmm. I remember I went to like a theater festival one time and it was a, like this, oh, these are my people, you know? And those moments, they were only like two or three days, but they, I mean, to this day, I remember them vividly. Oh yeah, full bonding. Yeah, you have these full bonding moments with people 24. It's a lot like what we do as actors, you know? I worked on a pilot a couple of years ago, and I remember we all went out for drinks, and the first AD was with us. We bumped into him at this bar, and we all stayed out till like 4 o'clock in the morning, and I remember saying to the first AD, I was like, don't you have to shoot tomorrow morning? And he's like, dude, we're just a bunch of gypsies, man. Hey. And we kind of are. You have these really intense emotional bonding moments with these people as actors, and then you may never see them again. Yeah. You may never work with them again, but then you may see them again 10 years from now and be like, dude, and go right back to where you were. Or you keep them forever they stay your best friends and you make a podcast with them <laughs> yeah there's that well, yeah. there's that too <laughs> yeah but going back to this scene i just i really love it it's coach getting a relish in the fact that despite all the adversity he's got some some solid kids in his program it's that quiet you know texas night when all you can hear are the cicadas and the wind in the trees and i always loved when fnl got to travel like when we got to travel as a cast it only happened a couple of times where like, you know, we all went to Dallas to shoot like at the Cotton Bowl mm, or, or San Angelo. Yeah. Or San Angelo to shoot down. Was it San Angelo or San Marcos? San Marcos. Sorry. San Marcos. San Marcos. But it was always fun because it, it just felt like everyone kind of let their hair down a little bit, you know? Yeah. We like we were bus and trucking it on a tour. Yeah. It was good. You just see everybody in the lobby and everybody be drinking in the lobby and hanging out and going to the same bars together. And yeah, it just felt like even though because we were shooting in Austin. Most of us were away from home. It felt like a vacation. Yeah, a vacation from your vacations. Yeah, and we were doing stuff. We were breaking rules. We had Dora on the show, and Dora and I going up to the top of the Four Seasons Hotel and like doing stuff that we probably weren't supposed to be doing, you know, going out the fire exit to watch the sunrise and screaming, you know, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose in Texas forever at the top of our lungs at six o'clock in the morning. You and I. You know, th those are the kind of things that only happen because we were in hotels and because we were away from home. And I think the kids are having that kind of moment as well. I love these scenes. I love the hijinks that ensue with all of them. Fun stuff. I loved it. I have a new t-shirt that I want of coach quotes. And this one is stay away from dumb, gentlemen. Yeah, that's a good one. Words to live by. In this particular episode, if you guys are watching, you know, the, the football stuff, what's going on is there's all these penalties. There's a lot of late hits happening by the other team. The other team is playing pretty dirty, but they're not getting called for it. And this is very different from the Coach Taylor that we know in the past. Coach Taylor's like, if they're going to play that way, we're going to play that way too, essentially. You know, basically play the game that you guys want to play, which is dancing after catches, celebrating, which isn't 
Coach Taylor football, but it's like, that's how we're going to play this game. I took it as like, you see a hit, you take a hit. Even if I didn't call it, you're going to do what you want to do. I've said, I thoroughly enjoyed the second half of this game more than I have enjoyed watching a football game on this show in a while. There was a team called the Miami Hurricanes, Stacey. Let me talk to you a little bit about the Miami Hurricanes. I'm going to go grab a drink real fast. I'll be back in five. The big thing that the Hurricanes were kind of known for in the 80s was playing with swagger. There were a lot of black athletes on the team, and so there was this term that started happening. No, it's thug football. They're thugs. These guys would celebrate after a catch. They would dance in the end zone. That was their way of celebrating and also their way of intimidating the other team. It became this racist dog whistle to call them thugs. And so I do like that coach is basically saying, you guys play the kind of football you want to play. And it's not saying play dirty, but if you want to celebrate after a catch, celebrate after a catch. If you want to dance in the end zone, dance in the end zone. It's not Coach Taylor football. And Coach Taylor at the end of the game is kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that. They do wind up getting all these penalties because you're not technically allowed to celebrate. You're not allowed to dance. You're going to get penalized if after you make a big hit, you stand over the guy. You're not allowed to do that stuff. But it's also a way of intimidating another team. I never had a problem with it. There are some people that have a massive problem with it. But when you start calling it thug football, that's racist. It's a racist dog whistle. We all know what that is. And so when that reporter says that to coach at the end of the game, we know what he's implying. I just loved the hits and the grunts and the sounds. I am sure so much of that probably did happen on the field on the day, but I do want to know if they grabbed anybody and brought him into ADR. It. I'm sure that they did. It was so much grunting. Yeah. I love that second half. I remember from playing football back in the day, as much fun as we had traveling and staying in hotels and all that stuff, the games themselves were always really, really rough. There is definitely home field advantage. It is a real thing, especially at the high school level. Some of those fans can be extremely nasty, and you do feel like the officials are home cooking you. They're not calling penalties that they should be calling. They're not calling late hits. Just, it's a very hostile environment. We've seen that before in the first season. There's a little bit of that in Kingdom as well. Huh. Meanwhile, after the game, I just want to say that I really love what Rollin Jones has done as a writer and showing these three different celebrations as we cut to the players partying, the coaches partying, and then we cut over to Tammy and Laurel, who's played by Lynn Blackburn. Yeah, coach is happy with the win, but he's not necessarily happy with the way the team won. I'm not sure how big of a fan he is of all the celebrating. And he and the other coaches celebrate with some poker in their hotel room. But Coach was not a fan of Tinker's dance. The local reporter racistly calling it, you know, thug ball. The players after the win end up boozing and bonding, eventually branding each other with some locals that Hastings Ruckles knew uh, from when he and his family lived in Kingdom. And then Tammy, meanwhile, is having like a quiet girls' night at home with some white wine and the lights turned down low. I just love the juxtaposition of all these different ways of imbibing. And then, yeah, Coach calls and says, I've, I've been drinking, and she's like, us too! <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody has. I love Coach saying, what are you guys wearing? <laughs> I'm gonna hang up now. Yeah, exactly. Okay, night-night. Night-night. <laughs> okay, the branding, I didn't know they did that. Stupid male bonding. Oh, God. Spivey was in a fraternity called Omegas, I think? Yeah, I've seen his. He's got a brand. Yeah. God, I can't fathom. I can't fathom the sa the sound that it would make. Would, oh, good. <sighs> yeah. I never did that, but I was in a fraternity when I was in college. I know. I've been asking Derek to show me the handshake forever, and he still won't do it. Never. But yeah, I was in a fraternity in college, and there were a lot of dudes that got tattoos, and I remember thinking, yeah, I'm going to go get a, you know my fraternity tattoo on my ankle or my arm, and I am very thankful at 47 years old that I didn't do that. Uh, Listen up, college kid. But at 18... Man, it just seemed like it was so cool to go get your, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Your fraternity letters on We're your ankle. We're bonded forever now. Yeah. We're brothers for life. Okay, Julie, cafeteria, wife comes in. We finally meet the TA's wife. Here's what I don't get. Did he go home and say, oh, by the way, I'm having an affair with a student. Her name is Julie Taylor. How did she have all of that information? I'm imagining it went down kind of like, where the hell were you? Blah, 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 blah. She knows he has a history of cheating. She gets the girl's name. Maybe it's in the phone or something. And she knows that she's a freshman or something like that. And then goes to the freshman common area. It was area. so specifically, Julie Taylor. Where's Julie Taylor? Yeah, I mean, had she showed up at her specific dorm room, that would have been a totally different thing. I would have probably questioned how the hell she would have known that. Mm-hmm. But she knows the girl's name. And I got the vibe that wasn't the library. It was more like a common area in a freshman dormitory. Mm-hmm. Troubles a Bruin. Troubles a Bruin, yeah. The TA's wife is played by Natalie Dickinson, who I actually did another film with a few years later. Really cool chick. What film was that? I did a thing called The Jogger about 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. I know. The Jogger. The complete opposite of the bus on the way there and then the bus on the way back. The bus on the way there cheering. Megan Rhymes. Bus on the way back. Bus full of hangovers. Everybody on that bus has a hangover. And I love it. I think I've spoken about this before on the show, but I stopped drinking five years ago. And when I watch scenes like this, I can remember what hangovers feel like. Oh, this sick. Just the, And ugh. I got to tell you, I do not miss hangovers at all. I don't miss it. But I love moments like this on TV shows or actually in real life, too, when I'm around my friends who still drink. And I remember going to a wedding a couple of years ago and we had rented an Airbnb and like 15 of us were staying in the same Airbnb, this huge, huge house down in San Diego. You know, everybody had gone out Friday night for the rehearsal dinner and drank themselves into a coma. And the next morning, I was up at like 7 o'clock. Everyone's still sleeping. And I went to the gym and I came back. Uh-huh. It's like 9.30 in the morning. Hey, guys, what's up? What are you doing? Let's get breakfast. No, people were still sleeping. You know, like 10 o'clock in the morning, somebody finally came out. And they're like, are we the first ones up? And I'm like, dude, I've been up for like four hours. And everyone's nursing hangovers that day. I got to tell you. It made me feel really, really good about myself. Superior. Yes. (laughs) I like to hold that over my friends. As I've said before, I want all my friends to be successful. I just don't want them to be as successful as me. I'm going to make that t-shirt for you. Thank you, Sticks. This, the last line. God, I love Roland Jones so much. The last line. Hey, Stings. Gray asks him, are we there yet? Again, as a joke. And I just knew Coach was going to take it. And it became like a metaphor. Yeah. Not yet. We'll get there. I love it. God. Great ending. Great ending to a great episode. I did. I really enjoyed this. You know what I think it is, is that it's kind of a breather. It's one of those episodes where there's a lot of drama, but it's also... No, but there's fun. Yeah. Julie's going to Julie, and she comes home because she's sad, whatever. The boys had fun. Yeah. We got to see them breathe. I remember when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid. So, like, really the only time I got to go on vacation or go out of town was... If we played an away game or if I went on a church trip or something like that. I remember like there were kids I went to elementary school with and they'd be like, so how was your summer? It's like, oh, we went to such and such or after Christmas break. It's like we went skiing and And I'm like, we didn't go skiing. No. You know? Never. So I love that moment when like Tinker's having trouble sleeping, you know, because he's not used to. Yeah, he doesn't know a hotel. 
Yeah, he's never been in a hotel before. And yeah. I kind of felt that same way, that adventure when you're a kid and you'd never really left your hometown, you know? Mm-hmm. This episode was sweet. Needed too, because something bad's going to happen again. You were saying before, I don't know how it drives the action and I'm right there with you. I don't know how it drives action it is in terms of like an overall arc for the season. But what I do love about this episode is that it captures a vibe. It captures a feeling. It captures a moment. Yeah, I needed it. For not plot development, but character development. I know Hastings so much better. I know Tink so much better. Yes. Like, that helps. I mean, it didn't take a whole hell of a lot for us to get to know these guys just a little bit better. But you know, you're more invested in these characters. Yeah. But yeah, as I was saying, it's an episode where there's a vibe. It's an episode about a feeling. It's like capturing lightning in a bottle. I can't blow Roland Jones's head up that much. <laughs> it's those little moments as a child. It's those moments as, as a high schooler. It's those moments playing football where you bond with each other what is the overall arc i don't know that there is one doesn't matter i loved it it's a vibe it's a feeling yeah love this episode great episode i think we're done here stay so rama that is gonna be it for season five episode five but join us next time for season five episode six titled swerve but until then clear eyes full hearts can't can't lose. lose Clear Eyes Full Arts is a podcast presentation of Black Bear Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Rostano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Rostano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.